Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you again, and thank you for tuning in with us. Wonderful Bible study again, and uh, encouraging you to grab the Bible and uh, follow up with us uh, on um, this uh, amazing subject, Seasons of Parenting. And we live in a time in a society when uh, to be a parent it's quite a challenge. But I believe the Bible will help us a lot to be able to cope with uh, all the challenges. Before we start today, I would like to thank all the panel coming in and uh, putting time aside to prepare this Bible study, to come along and share. And I will start with Lija. Thank you for joining in with us, Lija. Well, thank God for being here today. Helen, good to have you with us also. Thank you. I'm excited. Excited about the, the study and excited about being here. Very good. And Brenton, welcome. It's always nice to be here, Nick, and to contribute to our discussion today, and I pray God will bless our discussion time. I'm pretty sure that will be the case, uh, because we have Len also facilitating today, and Len, thank you for uh, coming with us and also preparing this Bible study. I'll hand the microphone right to you now. Okay, thank you, Nick. It's a privilege to be part of this Bible study, and it's a privilege, listeners, to share the Word of God with you because the Word of God is worth paying attention to, even just in things like parenting. Now, last week we studied about the keys to family unity. And one of the points was that when Christ is the centre of your life and your home, the natural outcome is that there is love in the home. And love is the oil that makes the world go round. This week, We'll share with you what the Bible has to say about parenting. We'll share about practical ideas for successful parenting and even what to do with an uncooperative child. What we will discuss today is not a magic bullet that instantly makes difficult issues right, but we will explore parenting issues and the satisfactions, challenges, fears and joys that parenting can give. So before we open our Bibles and launch into this discussion, I invite you to bow your heads with us as Helen prays. Thank you, Lynn. Loving Heavenly Father, it is with a delight that we come before you today to share the things in this Bible study that you want us to share. I pray that you'll be with every listener, Father. I pray you'll be especially here with the panel as well. And that the words that we read will come from you, will come from the Bible. And, Father, we know you have much guidance in this word. And I pray that we will take it into our hearts. I pray that people will discover that those that are hurting for either for children they want or for children they have and they don't know what to do with them. I pray, Father, that they will find a sense of relief, a sense of resting and peace as we study today. Bless us now, I pray, in the precious loving name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Helen. Yeah. All right, Brenton, well... Uh, a general question to begin with. I like general questions. Okay. <laughs> when a couple announces that the wife is pregnant, what sort of reaction does that evoke from others? Well, there are several reactions. Generally, the most frequently heard one is congratulations. And everyone, of course, is very pleased for the couple that they're about to have a new um, person in their life. Sometimes, however, Len, it needs to be said uh, a pregnancy happens unplanned and um, a, a couple are in, a, shall we say, a straight financial situation and uh, sometimes they're a little more fearful of how it's all going to go. Yes. Uh, but generally speaking, people are overjoyed when uh, they know that someone so, is So expecting. why is that? Why are people really happy and people congratulate others when they hear of a pregnancy? I, I think it's a... A child, whether it's a boy or a girl, it's a new life that is coming into the world. And even when uh, the parents first find out that the wife is pregnant, they're probably already thinking ahead to what type of child will this be? And um, there's a sense of anticipation and a sense of um, will he or she be like her father or mother? Often you hear the saying, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, uh -huh. uh, a chip off the old block and various other sayings like that. And um, I, I think it's just a sense of anticipation and it's also, Len, a responsibility. 
whilst the congratulations are flowing, it's a responsibility knowing that God has given you this gift, the gift of a child, and you have a responsibility to bring this child up the way God would have you to bring them up. When a child comes into the world, brings joy to everybody, brings joy to the family and uh, you know the extended family, to the mother and father, a child is a blessing, even if we don't know the future of the child that, that comes. Because, you know, we as people, we are different. Some uh, children tend to be good or bad. But uh, a child in his young uh, years brings joy in the family. Yes. There's a general per- perception in society that to have children is a good and a normal thing. Yeah. Yes. Also, I would like to mention another thing I believe which is very important. It's an opportunity of connection with the, in the family, in self, but also from the community. Because uh, where I grew up uh, in a very small community, when a child was born, actually the whole community was like their child. And even in the Bible, when we look in the Bible, yes, the intention yeah. is to care about the, the child, not just the parent, not just the parents. They have an extended family. Extended family. Mm, and I believe yeah. it's a very good opportunity for connection. And even though sometimes it's hard to connect people socially for various reasons, when a child is born, it's um, an excuse, if you like, even to, to connect with some people which is hard to connect sometimes. Yes, many mm, friendships uh, develop around the children. For example, in my son, oldest son's case, and my other son, who have children, they make friends through the children. Yes, yes. Uh, rather than with the um, parents of those children directly. Well, of course, there are some people who want to have children but can't. What's the go there? How do we deal with those people, Brenton? It's difficult, Len, because my wife and I were not able to have children. Um, very early in our marriage, we found out that uh, we were probably not likely to be parents. We were amongst the very first people in South Australia to go on the IVF program. Even though the program was unsuccessful, it brought us closer together as husband and wife. And we eventually accepted that we weren't going to have children. However, we had put our names down for adoption. And we have a wonderful son, James, and a daughter-in-law, Natalie, and two grandchildren. So God has blessed us. But I do feel for couples who can't have children because I know what it's like. I've been there. Yes, well, my brother and wife are in exactly the same situation as you. They did not adopt. But anyhow... We realise that um, not everybody can have children. Now, the Bible records also there were people who were not able to have children. Genesis 18.11. Ledger, would you like to read that and then just explain a little bit? Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So I think it, they had a very sad atmosphere in their home because they were trying maybe years and year by year to conceive a child and have a child. And a house without a child, it's a, it's a very quiet home. It's, it's a lonely bo- place. It's a lonely, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think they were very sad and because they loved the Lord. I think they prayed all their lives to have a child. And... Um, Later in life, God revealed to them that they will have a child, a miracle child. How late? Very late. (laughs) Past, yeah, the age of maybe 90. Yes, well, Sarah was 90, and I think Abraham was 100 100. at that time, which is, at least for Sarah, past the childbearing age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, of course, Isaac was a miracle child. Yes. Shows you that with God all things are possible. Amen. Yes, Mm. yes. Mm-hmm. Now, there was another situation regarding another lady who was unable to have children. First Samuel chapter 1 gives the story. Helen, would you like to just tell us a bit about that? I would love to. I relate to Hannah very, very much. I love her story. I love the outcome. And Hannah could not conceive. She was in a situation where her, do you call it a friend? <laughs> The other wife would would pick on her. 
Penina. Yes, <laughs> and um, there were a lot of lessons that Hannah learnt through all that, I'm sure, but she couldn't conceive. And in those days, more so than these days, it was it was not a good thing at all to be barren. Oh, it was considered a curse. Absolutely, yeah. curse absolutely. What I love about, about Hannah is that even though she had all this anguish and what have you, she asked the Lord, she asked the Lord for a child. Yes. And she took it to the Lord in, in so much earnestness, you know, in, in her prayer and what have you. And God answered her prayer. Now, God doesn't always answer the prayer the way we want it. But in Hannah's case, he did. And she was able then to have a, a child. And I, I have something here that I wrote when I was in a similar situation, if I may just share it just as briefly as I can. And I was not able. It said, I remember in anguish many years ago pleading with the Lord for children. For years I had dreamt of being a mother to six healthy children. And then came the time I fell pregnant, the joy. But then I miscarried. Oh, the sorrow. But then the doctor broke the news to my husband and I. He said, we ought to think of adoption. He said, I was unable to carry a child. Devastated, I felt my world had been turned upside down. Yes. I watched as my husband wrestled with the news. He would, he would make a great father, I thought. I felt a part of me was missing as though I was not quite whole, unfulfilled, not a complete woman. Our friends all had children and my husband would get down on the floor and play with them. He tried so hard to console me, but to no avail. Every month I became more withdrawn and more depressed. I relate to Hannah. I fought with the Lord. I even yelled at the Lord. I told him I thought this was not fair. Why me, Lord, became my endless cry. We applied for adoption and were told it could take up to five years, and that seemed like an eternity to me, like a jail sentence. My waking hours and indeed even some of my sleeping hours were taken up with my obsession to become a mother. I seemed out of control and certainly lost perspective. But finally, in desperation, I fell on my knees, pouring out my selfish heart to God and let it go. I told God that it was okay with me. I wanted his control in my life and that with his help I would accept that it was not part of his plan for us at that time and that thy will be done in my life. And I slept peacefully mm. that night. Yes. The next day dawned brighter than the many previous days before, not because the sun was shining outside, but because the sun was shining in my heart. I felt at peace and knew that all things would work together for good to them that loved the Lord and to those who called according to his purpose. But imagine our surprise, excitement and delight that same day when the telephone rang to say a little boy had been born and was waiting for us. Only 18 months after our application had gone in, and I don't believe it was coincident that this came about at that time either. I believe that up to that point, I was not ready to give the Lord all my will. I cried, I yelled, I jumped, I ran, I danced over and over on our furniture, but mostly I prayed with a thankful and overflowing heart. And it was not long before a bonny, bouncing, six-week-old baby boy became enmeshed in our lives. He won our hearts from the moment we saw him, and we knew that God had heard and answered our prayers. And so I, I relate to Hannah. I relate to how she, she probably felt the frustration, mm. the depression, um, the anguish. I relate to how when she finally turned it over to God, and I certainly relate how she must have felt. It's a beautiful story, Helen. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Thank you. We adopted James at about the same age, about six mm. or seven weeks. And okay. uh, I can remember the joy when... Uh, we had someone from the adoption agency ring me out of the blue because we'd had some time since we'd applied for adoption. All right. And uh, basically he said, we've got a baby girl for you. And he changed his mind and said, we've got a baby boy. Oh, okay. I said, we're not stressed. You should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, I experienced uh, these feelings of joy when I had my twin boys. It was a lovely experience. I've never ever um, had any questions of uh, insecurity, um, even if I went through the hard times. But I experienced a very sad experience because after the boys, I wanted to have at least a girl and I couldn't have children anymore. So I was very, very extremely sad. I remember that I, it was a day when I was so angry and upset with God and I cried and I cried and I was angry and by the end of the day after 
you know, a very sad day. God just assured me that this is his will and to enjoy the boys that I have and be pleased that I don't have any other children or girls. So by the end of the day, yeah, I was at peace, but I was okay. I had a day of angriness with mm. God. Mm. The thing that comes out very much in both, uh, well, all three of those testimonies, if you like, is that all you committed your life to the Lord and said, yes. Yes. your will be done, Lord, not mine. Yes, mm. We left it in God's Well, hands. you've got yes. twin boys, you've had children, <coughs> Helen, Brenton, you and um, your wife haven't been able to have children, but you've had an adopted child. All right, Brenton, we've been talking about people who couldn't have children. Yes. Uh, who were John the Baptist's brothers? Well, according to what I'm just reading here, Lynn, and I'll read it out, it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. The simple answer is John the Baptist grew up as an only child. Mm. Now, our son grew up as an only child too, so it's, it's interesting. Only children, I think, probably find life a little difficult. Uh, a little different from being in a family of say four or five children or something like that I think if you're an only child obviously your parents total attention can be lavished upon you yes. but when you've got brothers and sisters <laughs> it has to be spread around okay and, and I think in a family situation we, we sort of mentioned this before when we were talking about marriage yes. when someone gets married they need to already make compromises, make adjustments in their life. True. When they get children, further adjustments are made. And I, it's my personal opinion. I can't point to any Bible verse that says this is right. It's my personal opinion that a person becomes more complete as they have children yes. and as they too have to make compromises for the sake of their children. Otherwise, I might be driving a Ferrari or something like that. Okay, can I interrupt here, Len? You've just said that you believe that you are more complete. Yes. I'm actually challenging that. Um, there are some people today that choose not to have children or they can't have children, they don't want to adopt or whatever, whatever. And I, I think if you were to ask around, you'd find that quite a number of them have made career their goals or whatever and they actually feel complete. I understand where you're coming from, though. I mm. do understand that. But I, I think um, there are some people that would say, I feel complete, you know, and they feel put down by being told they're not complete, you know, in their own mind. Oh, I would never but say I, that. I know them, you wouldn't, and I, don't, and I don't believe that's what you meant. But I'm just saying there are some that would, would probably challenge that. I think there's but a personal growth. I'm into yeah, that, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, the thing which probably a parent understands because uh, before you have a child, you, know, you focus on yourself more and uh, uh, even if you like it or not, if you are a responsible parent, then you need to focus more on the offspring, you know, on the, uh, mm. on the children. Mm. Now, there are many irresponsible parents, mm. even if they have uh, uh, children, they, I don't think so, they are ever more complete than before. <laughs> Yeah, I think the point, uh, Len, about um, having children is this. Having a child softens your character. I believe that um, you use the word compromises and adjustments and that sort of thing, but having a child softens your character because you realise that this child, this little boy or this little girl, is totally dependent upon you. Mm. Whatever you do is both for now and for the future is for the child's good and you've got to start thinking in terms of not what's best for me but what's best for them and I believe that that's one of the reasons why God allowed us to have children to help us to understand his character better having a child forms a bond between a yes. parent and a child right. and I just don't understand some other parents that they have children like fathers they have quite few children and they just you know, left them, you know, not not caring for them. And because having a child, as I said, forms a bond, a bond of responsibility for the rest of your life. Yes. And that's what I was uh, mentioning a bit earlier, that um, family actually should not resume only in between that uh, nucleus, you know, of uh, parents and uh, their children. Uh, parenting should be 
experience yes. a little bit more into yes. the community yeah. because for example if there are people who don't have children but they are um, taking care or they are uh, inclined to support and sustain the children in their their community or the relatives and so on that will be the pretty much I will say almost the same experience like a father have for, for his own son because mm-hmm. I know actually for the fact that many uh, people who don't have their own biological you know children they are even more connected with uh, the child which they foster or they yeah. you know uh, oh, yes. look after and that's just to dismantle if you like that myth of uh, that only the mm-hmm. parents are uh, you know understand what that means to have a child actually every man and woman who give a intentional approach to look after a child, uh, they will experience the same thing. I'd just like to reiterate again, sorry, Lena, I jumped in before. You told me I could jump in any time. That I, you know, in thinking about what you were saying before about this completeness, having adopted a child and, and seen the difference in my life, I, I realised that I felt I wasn't complete. But there are some people that feel they are. But I have to say, and I have to agree with you, that bringing having a child in your home, it, it kind of fills it, doesn't it? Yes. It's the vacuum. Yes. It's, yes. It is a completeness. Yes. You know? And it gives you an opportunity to express your love on another level. Yes. And I think that was why Good God point, gave yeah. us the gift of children, yes. that we could experience that. Okay. Yes. Ledger, you want to share something with us? Children are a blessing. We all know that, but for some reason, God doesn't always bless everyone with children. Some people hope and pray for a family and uh, graciously grant their requests, sometimes quite miraculously, as in the case of Sarah. But others, just as fervent in their petitions before God's throne, are met with deafening silence. Every time... They see friends praise God for their pregnancies and when they welcome their babies, it deepens the death of the wound as they consider their empty nest. Even such innocent questions as how many children do you have? Servers, painful reminders of an exclusive club that those without children are excluded from, even though they may want to join. So often happens. Well, so, Helen, is it a social stigma if someone can't have children? I think more so in days gone by Mm. than Mm. in today's culture and society, Mm -hmm. although there are some countries it is still a social stigma. Yes. And, you know... Western culture, not so much. No, I agree with you there. I think it was interesting what Lydia just said when she said, you know, innocent questions, how many children do you have, Mm. you know, or when are you going to start a family? That was a classic that we always got, you know. Oh, so-and-so, they've got an establishment. What's wrong with you people, you know? (laughs) So from that point of view, you can have stigma from family, from friends and and what have you. And people kind of look at you sideways and say, are you never having children? I wonder how Sarah felt all those years, you know. But having said that, I think it comes back to the fact that we, we look at at this gift that God has given, which Lydia just mentioned, it's it's a gift, it's a blessed gift. God's basic unit for mankind, I believe, was a family. Yes. You know, it was a father, a mother, and children. Mm-hmm. Be fruitful and multiply. And I just I just think that that's that's a that's a nucleus which helps me to understand a little more about the Godhead. The same way. And I think Nick wants to say something, but I'd like to come back, if I may. Very quickly, on on that aspect of the stigma which you just mentioned, Helen, uh, it's interesting that in the Bible it's written in many cases that God closed the womb of a woman. And if I compare that with today's society, when men and women, they are damaging their and they're not able to have children just because of their choices, just because of their lifestyle, if you like, and so on. And it's a little bit of difference. So, now we are not so to have social stigma mm. because it's uh, another thing which I believe is not necessarily a good thing which happens in society, that we do a lot of things which really damage the uh, family unit and even uh, being able to, to bear children. 
because in the Bible it's interesting uh, yes. uh, how uh, how it's said that the God closed that womb because maybe God wanted that person or to have a understanding and an experience with God. In uh, in olden times, uh, people lived together like uh, with extended family. So they were there, the grandfather, the, the great grandfather and mother, and so on. So I think the joy was much more. Fuller than in our days, because in in our um, social stigma in our days, uh, many women are focusing on their careers, yes, and uh, working, uh, and uh, they they don't care much of having children. And uh, I think the the way God created the nuclear family is to live with extended family, which is brings more joy. And I agree what what is just being shared. But I wanted to come to another aspect. Because of certain circumstances, sometimes there are families with only one parent. Again, I can relate to that. I became a single mother um, after 14 years of marriage. And and the whole whole scene changes so drastically that unless you've been through it, it's kind of hard to sort of, you know, to relate it all. But I'm comforted to know that there were many others, not just in the world, but there are some in the Bible that the Bible speaks. The Bible covers everything, mm-hmm. I'm beginning to realise. So who are some of you these know, others? Hagar was one. She was a single mum. The widow of Zarephath was another one. And the mother of um, Jesus, she had one son. Mm, yeah. That was Mary, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can I comment, though, on the fact, uh, Helen, following up from what you said, God was particularly um, particularly interested in protecting the rights of widows and uh, single parents. Absolutely. Uh, he Absolutely. specifically mentions in a number of Old Testament books the care that we should give to women who are widowed uh, and other people who may be a single parents not described as single parents as such in the Bible, but let's face it, a widow is a yes. single parent. Yes. And uh, I think that um, God's love and care for all of mankind is demonstrated in the fact that one of the key things that he hammered Israel over repeatedly was their lack of care for the poor, yes. the lack of their care for widows and the fatherless. Yeah. And um, whilst we don't preach a social gospel, I believe the fabric of our very society, the fabric of our Christianity is demonstrated by our care for these particular groups. Absolutely. I believe that yeah. they're, they're, they should be top, right. front and centre of what we do to help others. And the Bible gives us instructions. Yes. You know, he, God gave instructions what to do with the widows and um, how to care yes. for them. Yes. You know, yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. I think yeah. it's in James where it says pure religion and undefiled yeah. is to visit or care for the fatherless. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brenton, I know you've got a very worthwhile statement that you would like to mm. read. It's an interesting comment that I would like to uh, share with our listeners. Being a single parent is perhaps one of the most challenging jobs a person can have. Many face difficulties such as managing their finances, dealing with the other parent, or simply having time just for themselves or to spend with God and wondering whether they will ever be loved again. The last bit there cannot be overstated, in my opinion, whether they will ever be loved again. Mm. As in part of my work as a minister, I often am dealing with people who are single parents, and I can think of one in particular who I won't name on air, but um, she has been to us several times for help, uh, financial help and... um, help with food and that sort of thing when you stop and think about a young mother with four children battling through life by herself with the only income she has is what comes from the government and Centrelink you ask how do do people like that survive and she is not an orphan there are plenty of them out there in society like that. Yes I realise that and um, we are challenged to support such people yes Letty? I have been through a period of time when I was a single mother with twin boys and uh, I do remember I was young, but I could see God's hand in my life because as we have promises in the Bible that God refreshed the weary and satisfied the faint. God always provided for me. God provided mat- in material way and God provided also in a, in a spiritual way because God never let me down. He always placed into my heart promise of joy. So 
I felt that God was always with me. Mm. So I never feared about it. I'm very moved by some of these statements today. I, my wife and I have had relatively easy in comparison to other members here on the panel. You said God never let you down. No. God has made some very outstanding promises in the scriptures with regard to single parents. Nick, would you read Jeremiah 31 verse 25? Yes, Len. And uh, this verse actually, it's followed because of um, God's promise to Israel, to the remnant of Israel. Because, you know, uh, people are um, experiencing all sorts of things and troubles in life. But if we turn to God, God promises to look after us. And this verse actually is um, uh, just uh, reflecting that thing in uh, 20, verse 25 says this, For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Mm-hmm. What that means that God, it's not, a, he doesn't have a, a death ear. You know, if we come before him, in the Bible says, where it says that verse that um, if you come before me, you know, and ask in faith, you will receive. Mm. You will receive what you're asking for. And that's very interesting because today people saying that they haven't got much experience with God. I may just challenge that. I say, look, ask God more uh, faithfully. In according to his will. In yes. according with his yes. will. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Legit. Um, there's another promise that God has made for single parents and people in distress in Matthew 11, verse 28. What does that say? Yeah, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So this is an invitation, not for single parents, or for, uh, but it's for everybody. Come to me. If you come to me, I will ease your burden, I will take your burden away, and I will satisfy your soul. I will give you rest. It's an amazing promise. And you think, well, how on earth can this work? Mm. But I've heard it a couple of times today. When we commit our lives to the Lord, there is a peace which yes. you can't yes. really yes. understand. Exactly. That's true. It comes, yeah. okay, I've given my problem to the Lord. Now let him look after it. That could be a bit presumptive, but on mm. the other hand, God does that. Yes, Helen. I, I believe that that resting means that Jesus is, is promised is love and healing and peace, as you said, not resting from labor, mm-hmm. which some people take it as that. You know, it is the joy. It is the peace that passes understanding that he he gives us and um, he gives it to the weary and the heavy burdened. There is none excluded. But of course, the connection must happen. Yes. First, people who are suffering stressful situations in their lives, they have to come to the Lord. Yes. It doesn't say the Lord will automatically sort their problems out. And that's why, um, as we shared here, and uh, also what Brenton was saying earlier in his experience, his story, that they were quite devastated that they could not have children. Was that the fact, uh, Brendan? We, but, we were certainly very disappointed. Yeah, but put it this way, because God knew and God heard your cry and uh, they blessed you with a wonderful uh, boy through adoption. Mm-hmm. Now, I would like to say this. Sometime, if we really believe in uh, God's way, maybe that was a better blessing than having your own son. Because so many parents, so many families, they have their own children and it's a devastating uh, uh, result. Mm. That's why I'm saying God knows better. If you truly give your heart mm. and your situation to God, God will know exactly what you need. Absolutely. And and to be thankful yeah. for what you receive from God, it's an important yes. thing. Because yeah. sometimes people will just say, no, no, but I want my to have a son uh, through this woman or through this man. or You know what I mean? Yes. yes. God knows the past, the present and the future. And he knows everything about me, for example. So he knows what to give it to me. To, to fulfill my life and what is enough for me. So we have to be pleased and always when we ask about something and for something, to ask according to his will because God knows better. Mm. Len, a very interesting comment was made to us as parents when our son was at school. and That was this. One of the teachers came to my wife one day and she said, you know, she said if we didn't know 
that your son was adopted, we would be none the wiser because she said he is so much like you both. <laughs> so we talk about heredity, we talk about environment, we talk about a lot of things. This is a very strong comment for environment, where even though the person may not be biologically yours, they are so like you mm -hmm. in characteristics and other things. And in fact, this teacher went even further and said he even looks like you. Yes, yes because ch when children are growing yeah. in that environment, mm. you implant your type of character in, in, right. you know, into him. And he's growing exactly like you. That's a blessing. Another <laughs> promise to, say, single parents, people in distress. Jeremiah 29 11. It's a beautiful promise and it really is for everybody. It says <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you says mm. the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. I love this. I love this text mm. and, yeah. and I believe that it doesn't mean that we are going to be spared pain and suffering and hardship. I don't believe that's what God is saying here. But I believe that God will see us through to a glorious conclusion mm, and yes. it will be a glorious yeah. conclusion the yeah. conclusion that that uh, Brenton had you know with the adopted children the conclusion I had you know I, I did state earlier I was looking for six children and God brought it to conclusion I ended up with an adopted son and five stepchildren yeah. and four grand step grandchildren thrown in he brought it to a beautiful conclusion sometimes we may not see that beautiful conclusion while we're on this earth but he will bring it through and there's a promise sure. mm. mm. alright one more uh, Brenton would you read the promise in Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven? certainly behold I am the Lord the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Mm. I immediately, when I read this text, took my mind back to um, when God told Abraham that uh, he was going to become a father. After having waited at that stage, I think about 20 years, uh, remember Sarah laughed in the tent and um, God said to Abraham, your wife is laughing over this matter. And she said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. He said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? This is an echo mm. of that. Um, hundreds of years later but God is basically saying if you leave it with me I will work it out because nothing, repeat, nothing is too hard for me oh, yeah. you just need to trust me yeah. alright well now we're at the moment we're <coughs> really talking about uh, single parent families and what responsibility does a church or a community have Helen to single parent families the answer is found in James Chapter 1, verse 27. Okay, I'd love to share that. In fact, I think we've actually covered this, but let me just bring it out. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, uh, and it's from James 1, 27. It says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Well, <laughs> in reading this, I thought, who are the widows that I know who are struggling with families and we were able to identify three in our immediate context I suppose and one we've helped quite a lot and that help continues. Let's move on to the book of Psalms, Brenton. Can I just make one comment very quickly? Sometimes we forget or neglect the widows in our midst. Yes, we we, do. we may just see them, you know, once a week at a church function or whatever, and they may appear to be, you know, have it all together. I've also am in that situation. I seem to have experienced so many things as a widow, and and it's 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 a different scene altogether again because suddenly you were a couple and you kept company with couples and then all of a sudden you're on your own and it's like the couples don't want to know oh, you. Yes. We've got to get over that. Sure. Yeah. And I would like to say also that doesn't resume to help a widow only on a physical way, like materialistically. Mm -hmm. Because that's a, probably the mistake we make because we're thinking, particularly in a, in a country like Australia where uh, uh, the welfare is, you know, quite uh, good, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, people can, uh, if they manage well their situation, they can live on that. But more than that need, I believe a widow needs the spiritual support and for example not having a father there now the church needs to take on that role of parenting mm. to help with that you know to 
guide and to direct and to nurture yes. that yes. family. And be inclusive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lynn, it's hard. Um, as a minister, I find it hard, even though it's part of my role in, in ministry, to to be able to comfort and encourage people who are single. I had someone ring me yesterday who's an alcoholic. He's had trouble with alcohol all his life. And he just wanted to talk. Uh, I was at a point where, <laughs> like yourself, I was getting ready for this week's study and doing other things. I felt that I really did not have the time to talk. And then I thought to myself, what would Jesus have done if he was here? Mm. He would have taken the time to listen to this person and sympathise and empathise with them. Mm -hmm. So he actually rang me back a couple of minutes later and um, shared some further information with me as well. But sometimes single people just need someone to listen to. Mm -hmm. them. Yes. They don't want advice. They don't um, even necessarily want encouragement. They just want someone to listen yes. to them. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Now, I recommend for any of you listeners who are listening to us today that you take your Bibles, whether you do it now or do it after the program, and read this psalm. It's only a short one, and Brenton's going to read it. It's Psalm number 127. Brenton? Okay. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's womb. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Yeah. It's just a good psalm to read really and really to understand psalm. and to internalise. Yes. I think, Len, we see here a psalm that explains a balance that we should have in our life. Yes. You know, A, we need God in our life, and if we try and build a house or whatever on our own, it may not be the same. At the same token, I actually... Um, I thought a lot about this. I, I experienced many years ago in, in the islands a, a minister that came up to our church. I'd known him for years, and we called him Uncle Lou. <laughs> and he came into the church, and we got talking. He said, one of my biggest regrets is that I have, and I love working for the Lord, but he said, my life was not balanced. He said, I just got so immersed in working for the Lord that I neglected my children mm -hmm. and they all went their own separate ways and he said I'm older now and he said if I could turn the clock back and I believe this psalm is literally telling us the same yes. keep it balanced you know it's good to work but not at the neglect of yes. your families yeah. you know. quite often fathers mm. fall into that trap Yes, yeah. and they mm -hmm. think by providing wealth to their families yes. they love, are showing love to their families whereas the kids would I think there's, I've seen a film about this and there's a song I've heard about it too where the children would prefer that they didn't have the latest gadgets but Dad would come out on the oval with them and kick a ball around Spend or something time like with that. Them. You know, it's interesting that we believe that our motives are right, that, you know, we're putting bread on the table and we're doing that. And, yes, that is important. I was shocked when my son one day, he, he said to me, Oh, Mum, you worked so hard, you know, you didn't have time. I said, in my mind... I said, I never neglected you, you know. I, I, took, I was able to take him with me for quite a number of jobs that I had. And yet in his mind, that time wasn't there. Um, yeah. Valuable mm -hmm. lessons that we need to learn. Can we go back in our life and redo it? And, mm -hmm. you know, the guidebook oh, to parenting <laughs> is the Bible. always be wise after the event. Yes, it's you? true. 100% hindsight. Yes. All right, <laughs> Lydia, would you like to read that statement that I know you have there? While we want to see our children go from cuddly, defenseless little people to independent, successful adults, our ultimate responsibility is that they come to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. As parents, we can follow the plan for the spiritual development for our children outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 6. There are four important prerequisites that we recognize the Lord our God that we love him fully from the heart, 
that we treasure his word and that we share with our children what we know about him. Okay, and this leads us into the next aspect of today's study and Helen is going to read to us from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 about how parents should raise their children. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? If only I'd known this when I hmm. had my child, you know, my son came into our lives. Okay, which verses was it that you wanted? Deuteronomy 6? Yes, seven verses 7 and seven 8. 7 and 8. Thank you, Lynn. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Now, they're not talking about tying the children to your, to your hands. I just suddenly, suddenly, you know, thought about that one. I thought, yeah, well, it actually teaches us in, in, in this verse in Deuteronomy, these verses in Deuteronomy, and I think Lydia mentioned it, you know, that there are four um, prerequisites in, in this verse alone. And I thought chapter 6 was so interesting you know, of Deuteronomy, you know, and, and Lydia, I think you brought out those four that we need to recognize the Lord our God, love him fully with our heart, treasure his word, and then share it. The key thing is share it. When Shane first came into our life, a dear, a dear old saint said to me, can I give you advice? I said, sure. She said, bring up your child on your knees. And then she went on to say, on your knees in prayer, sit him on your knees to love him, sit him on your knees when you have to chastise him, and sit him on your knees when you need to share God's love with him. Mm. I thought that was Good excellent counsellor, and that's what I got from that. As parents verses. are called the uh, people with primary responsibility for their children, but I suspect a lot of parents don't do what you've just been reading there about instructing the children yeah. in the ways of the Lord. Mm -hmm. They feel that their primary responsibility is to provide food and shelter and so on. And they've done their job. But <laughs> no, the oh. Bible goes further than that. It says that parents need to be the primary educators yes. of yes. their children. Just before we go on further, I, I'm reminded too that when we walk out, you know, and we go anywhere, there are so many object lessons that yeah. we can see in, in nature, and Jesus used that. Yeah. And I think we can do that with our children, you know, show yeah. them these yeah. things and draw True. spiritual yeah. aspects. The primary lesson for a parent is to implant in, in the child the love for God. So uh, if the child loves the Lord, automatically everything falls behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, here in this verse that Helen read, it says this, talk about love for God and his commandments with your children when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It means the love of the Lord and His commandments should be always on our lips, you know? Mm -hmm. And we always, the children has to see um, the love of God first of all in ourselves and after it's radiating to them. And I was just going to actually uh, touch on uh, what Lydia just said uh, uh, now about the God's law, God's precepts God's commandments to be taught to the children because we know that in these days we have so much uh, influence you know from human people are uh, looking too much in these days to counseling from hu a human perspective rather than to look into the word of God I'm not saying that it's not needed humans are uh, and relationships we are here to learn from each other but if we are not balancing this and going too much on one direction and forgetting about God's law God's uh, instruction God's direction I believe everything what we'll do wouldn't have any effect in, uh, in the family life I once heard some statistics about where children learn morality you'll never guess what the answer was it's from programs like Home and Away. Mm. But this is wrong mm. because those programs don't give real morality. They give what's called 
social agreement or something like mm. that, which is not Correct. real situational ethics. Mm. Now, we have an example here of people raising their children, and we've got the example of Abraham Breton in Genesis mm. 18, mm. verses 18 and 19. What does it say about Abraham? It says, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, notice this is in the future. He hasn't got children at the moment, or certainly not the son of promise. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him, that speaking uh, past tense, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. We have competition today. Len, you've touched on it. I think Ligia and Nick were touching on it a little bit. Today, most young people who are not brought up in a reasonably strict home or a home that has Christian values get their moral values from not only TV shows but from social media and other things like mm. that. And that is how they learn about society. They are called street smart, they are called street wise and all the rest of it. They do not have any firm moral compass. They do not have any firm foundation in their lives. Mm. That is why it is so important, and I can't stress this enough for parents, you must bring your children up with firm moral standards because you are competing with social media and all the other things that are out there. And if you do not bring them up that way, they will pick all of this other stuff up anyway. What they then have to do is make a choice between the way they have been brought up in a Christian environment and a Christian background and balance that against the, shall we say, the floating moral standards of society. Of course, we as parents, we have to talk, educate our children, but most of most of all is to uh, be an example. You know, the, the term says, monkey see, monkey do. So whatever the, the children are seeing inside mm-hmm. of their home, whatever they see the parents are doing, they do. So we need to talk the talk and walk the walk. Exactly. Mm, okay, well, we must move on. We have an example in the Bible of somebody who did not do this with his children. His name was Eli. Mm. Now, Eli had sons of his own, and Brenton, I'm going to throw this one in your direction. You don't have to read the text because we're getting awfully close to the end. (laughs) What was Eli's problem, and how did God um, regard it? God regarded it extremely seriously for a number of reasons. Number one, he was the high priest. Therefore, he had a responsibility to show by example the way that he had brought his children up. And his children, it seems as though he was what I would describe as an indulgent parent. He was a parent who allowed his sons a lot of leeway and didn't seem to spend a lot of time disciplining them. And God actually said to him uh, a bit later, he said, I'm going to remove my um, blessing from the house of Eli. Eli's house will be basically devastated and I will go to someone else for um, the high priestly function, which is a pretty serious thing to to have happen. Um, Samuel... (laughs) This is where I find this whole story really interesting. Samuel was brought up by Eli, largely. And if you read the story of Samuel, his own sons, when he was old and uh, Israel came to him and said, look, uh, we want to have a king, he said, what's wrong with my sons? And uh, they basically said, your sons are corrupt. They're accepting bribes and all the rest of it. It seems as though, even though Samuel is considered to be one of the greatest men of the Old Testament, even he seems to have fallen into the trap of not uh, bringing his sons up the way God wanted them Too to be brought up. Too busy doing good things. Too busy doing people. good things. But I would like to uh, mention here something that doesn't mean that these two characters, these two men, they were uh, not living a, a model. Yeah, I'm life. not suggesting. Uh, you know, thing. because I believe they were <coughs> godly people, mm-hmm. both of them. What it means that sometimes there is that. Uh, uh, peer pressure on parents not to discipline their children when they are going wrong because they that may means that they were wrong but actually no actually you need to stand even against your own children if they are going on the wrong path 
as you'll stand against anybody else. Yeah. And that's what Eli uh, didn't do, I believe. When mm. the children start to do wrong things, he was n uh, neglectful yes. in terms yeah. of uh, discipline. Well, it says later on in the same chapter, then, that basically um, his, his boys were doing things that they should never have done. I'm not going to talk about yeah. them on air. And basically... <laughs> Um, he's saying, oh, my sons, I'm hearing some bad reports about you. You shouldn't be doing these things. Mm. The trouble is the boys were old enough now. They were adults. It was, it too, was late. too late. Too, too late. late to do anything about it now. Now, when parents don't discipline their children and don't lead their children and instruct the children, what's that an indicator of, Helen? Well, I believe it can be an indication of lack of love. They haven't taken on that responsibility because who loves his child more? The father who allows the child to do something that will harm him or the one who corrects and trains and, and punishes his child to help him to learn what is right? Which one, which one loves more? The one who chastises yes. and, and stops him. There's a great text in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, and it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. You know, it's never pleasant to be corrected, is it? No. Really, seriously, no. you know, you don't put your hand up and say, I want to be corrected now and disciplined. No, it's never pleasant, especially by God, you know, to be disciplined by God. But his discipline, I look at it as a sign of his deep love for us. You know, if he didn't love us, he wouldn't correct us. That's you know, right. so when God corrects us, we see it as proof of his love. And we, we perhaps need to ask him, what is he trying to teach us? Yes. But it's his love that he, he needs to chastise okay, us for. Okay, now we Same need some very parent. short comments we because do. we have yes. a very short <laughs> amount of time left. We can That's see right. We don't have any time left. <laughs> Uh, we can see around so many uh, diso disobedient children around us, and uh, I, I'm very upset and worried about you know, this society where it goes, because parents are not focusing, they are not educated, especially the parents, first of all, are not educated. So uh, uh, they focus on their career and earning money and uh, living a life, and they forget about giving a, ch a child an education. They put, place them in child care and so on, and pe uh, children are growing up without education, disobedient, um, unrespectful, and so on. Okay. Well, now we're going to have to hit the very last bit. What positive influence, what can parents do to raise good children. Panel? Very first thing is, as I think Nick mentioned earlier on, is example. Nothing beats example. I'm sorry, there's one before that, and that's one loving them. Love. Love, love and yes. example. Well, yeah. uh, uh, love is included yes. in what yes. I consider to be example. Yes. So to be an example to them, to love them, what else? Uh, first of all, to have knowledge. When you, when you bring a child in, into the world, you have to realize that you have a responsibility for that child. So, you know, sink into the, the knowledge and get, uh, acquire knowledge how to raise a child. Okay. To provide for them. To, to provide for them. Provide always. For them. Yes. Yes. Physically, mentally, spiritually, them. emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Pray for them. Pray for them. And yeah. what else? Yes. Uh, discipline them. Discipline them. Yes. Yeah. And we don't discipline out of hate, we do it out of love. Can I just mention something very quickly here? There are a lot of parents that are probably sitting listening and, and perhaps they're thinking, oh, well, I did it all wrong, you know, and, and what have you. My, I, I just like to leave them with a bit of counsel, and it came from Philippians 3.13, where virtually we need to put the past behind us, ask God to forgive us for our wrongs. We can do nothing about the past. We can look towards the future, but right now we need to live in the present and in his presence. Yeah. Len, there is one thing very quickly that um, we haven't even touched on. What we should be teaching our children as part of the love, the discipline and all the rest of it is the ability to be able to distinguish between what is right and wrong yeah. mm. because that's what Solomon Morality. That's what we were talking about before yeah. when uh, Helen Good was decisions. reading from, uh, forgotten what book, but it was about to bind them on our hands, yeah. not our children, but yeah. the commandments of yeah. God. Yeah. Listeners, we're sorry, we've run out of time. We'd love to spend another hour. Let's pray to finish off today. Father in heaven, 
We thank you for the instruction in your word about life, about how we should live our lives to be have, have successful lives. And one of those great things is to make you the centre of our lives and then other things radiate from, radiate out from that. Yes. I just pray that you'll bless our listeners today as they contemplate these themes that we've presented and that uh, they too can pass those things on to their children and grandchildren. Mm. We ask and pray these things in and through the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And thank you very much for being with us today. May God bless you. And uh, I would like to just do a quick ad. If you like to meet uh, the presenters, this panel, this coming Saturday at 2.30 in the afternoon on Melrose Park Church, you can you can come. Uh, it's 123. 123 Edward Street, Melrose Park. Thanks, Brenton. You can come along and meet uh, some of the presenters for this uh, Bible study. Have a good afternoon together with, when we'll have a Q&A and also an afternoon tea. May God bless you. Until next time, look up to Jesus. <laughs>